Namras Ainarelli. And this is the Market Today podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us yet again for episode 106 of the Market Today podcast. So as per usual, for those of you that are new, I'll give you a little synopsis of what we do on here. Every week we read a new book, usually having to do with business, psychology, marketing, anything having to do with professional uh, growth and, and mindset growth and you know all that sort of good stuff. So this week is no different. We've read another book. Um, and in addition to that, we also like to talk about some of the financial markets, what's happening in the world, and kind of how that is, how, how what's happening in the world and our current events are affecting some of our financial markets. So, you know, before we get into the book, which was uh, which was great, actually, we'll, we'll get into it. I'm very excited to get into it. It's a book called The 1% Rule by Tommy Baker. Let's kind of just kind of do a little bit of a, you know, a hello, what's happening in the world conversation. As you guys all probably know, there's a lot of uh, instability in the Middle East right now, and you know it's it's happening in, in you know Afghanistan. We're having issues with with some of the other countries that are in that in that region, but obviously specifically with the America with America pulling out of Afghanistan, you know it's it's created quite stir. Um, so today I just wanted to kind of have a little dialogue with Rossi about what we think is going to happen based off of that instability in the region. Um, and how it's going to affect some of our stuff when it comes to, you know, how our oil price is going to be affected because we, we're not going to have as much uh, control in the region or have as much say in the region. How are, you know, how are our market, how's our, how's our inter- foreign policy going to be inter- interacted uh, based on this whole thing? And, you know, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see quite a bit of, of, uh, of shift from the Middle East here. Um, being that, you know, this whole situation in Afghanistan has just gone crazy and, you know, God forbid we've unfortunately lost some, some of our soldiers and, and a few things there. But, you know, I think that we probably could have handled this a little better. But then again, from the beginning, we haven't handled this very well. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know, what do you, what do you think, how, how do you think we're going to see the effects of us pulling out of Afghanistan when it comes to our financial markets and how we interact from a foreign trade perspective, Ross? You know, I would say that, honestly, I'm uncertain. And the reason I say that is because normally uncertainty causes kind of a rockiness in the stock market. You know, when, when investors or companies aren't sure of the political landscape or things like that, normally you see some hesitancy in, in you know, what you're doing as a company and what your game plan is. So I'll be curious to see what happens. I do agree with you. I think that, you know, we definitely didn't do a great job. I know the plan was to leave. Um, Afghanistan. I know that it doesn't look like it's gone as smoothly. I don't like that people are blaming, you know, Trump and some people are blaming, but like people just need to stop blaming other people and just understand that this is the situation. What can we do? Um, I think the first thing you would probably notice, like you kind of mentioned, would be, you know, fuel prices increasing. That's normally the first, you know, metric that moves that we can see in our everyday lives. So I think that'll be an interesting first movement. Thankfully, I drive an electric vehicle. No problems here. Um, you guys should all get electric vehicles as well if you're worried about this problem. But, um, yeah, uh, to be honest, I'm not really sure how it's going to shake up. It, it seems like every once in a while, like I said, especially now, it's it's headlines in the news and then other days it's just gone. Like, they're not talking about it at all, which just feels weird to me. So, I don't know. I, I think we all know that a lot of the reason we're there is for... Um, you know, oil. I know there was something that came out about the minerals that they they're trying to 
get so maybe that's just one step closer to admitting that we're there for more of the natural resources and then obviously it's location um, is a strategic stronghold for America so there's there's a lot of different things there um, I don't know I, I'm, I'm very curious to what happens but my big thing is I hope that we can just stop you know blaming current presidents previous presidents I mean Biden's been in office for long enough now that we shouldn't be blaming um, the previous administration you know what I mean it's it's kind of you know if you got a new job anywhere and stuff wasn't handled in after a few months you're not gonna be like oh well the guy who was here before me just you know left everything a mess it's it's insane like at a certain point you have to switch ownership to yourself so I'm very curious to see when that actually happens but I think when that does happen it'll not only bring some more stability but um, can bring you know more of a, a prosperous you know time for America I think the bigger thing and this is a slight pivot from this convo is did you see that um, they're they're blocking I, I think it was the Senate or Congress someone um, they're blocking the extension of the um, what is it the moratorium on evictions do you see that no what's tell me a little bit more about that so there's been this you know kind of eviction moratorium where you know there are people out there landlords and and people on the ground you know who are living there and they they can't pay rent and and pretty much what the biden administration has done is making it where you can't evict them for not paying their rent because this is a difficult time um and essentially the cdc was trying to extend this again and it was one of the branches of government um, that pretty much said the CDC had overstepped their bounds and they can, they will not be extending this. And, you know, people will agree with this and some people will disagree with this. Uh, I go back and forth for me when we saw a lot of people making money on unemployment, even more than they were making at their current job. Um, and then when their job kind of reopened, they didn't want to go back. I got a little annoyed just because, you know, if you, if you cannot work and you cannot get a job, then there should totally be something in place to protect you. But we're in a weird spot now where people don't want to go back because they can make the same amount without working. Like I heard a story of a landlord who hadn't been paid in like six months, right? And the, the guy who was living there, um, his profession was he worked on like cabinet, cabinets, you know, he could restore things. So this company was like, oh, we'll hire you. You can do our cabinets, blah, blah, blah. And you'll be able to pay rent and this and that. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. They asked his wife, who also does something similar, and she's like, no, I don't want to do it. So you have a lot of people who are making money, not paying rent, and not working. And they wonder why unemployment is so high. I mean, if you're making the same amount of money not working, why would anybody work? Like, we don't, we love our jobs, but we don't love it enough to work. If I can make the same amount as I make now, and I don't have to work, count me in. Sign me up. Don't ever take me off this program. So... Um, that will actually probably be leading more to a shift in the real estate market, which I think is going to be more of a, an interesting thing to watch to see what happens when all these, this comes up and can people pay their rent? You know, what have they been doing with all this money? Same thing when we saw the stimulus checks come out. What did everyone do? They rushed to Walmart and bought TVs. Walmart sold a record number of TVs. Like, if you want to waste your money, waste your money. But I want to see what happens, you know, when the Pied Piper comes calling. What are these people going to do? Because you will feel bad, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're kind of, you know, the collection of a lot of your decision making. So that's going to be very interesting for me to watch. And I think the worst part of the whole thing is, because it's really interesting, actually. I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm in the midst of putting some stuff together for uh, for a non-profit event, specifically having to do with homeless community in Los Angeles. Like, we're, but we're out here in the Los Angeles, the Orange County. Ross is in Los Angeles, I'm in Orange County. 
uh, in this SoCal area. And, you know, we just have more homeless than we know what to do with, right? And, you know, the majority of the places that I'm working with have mostly to do with how do we get the homeless people back into work? Or how do we get, you know, college students that are living out of their car because they can't afford rent, how do we get them into a place where they can work and afford to pay rent, right? But I feel like there's so many people that really actually need the help and want to do something amazing with their life. And they're getting screwed because there are just people that are lazy and don't want to contribute that are taking advantage and putting a burden on the system. And I think that, you know, listen, I think that you have to make decisions and you can't just live off of other people's livelihood, right? Like, listen, my family's, we're, we're landlords and we've had a couple issues with rent, renters not paying. And of course we've been nothing but, you know, easygoing with what's happening in the world. But, you know, at some point these payments need to be paid because at the end of the day, you know, we still have mortgage payments to pay and we still have kids to feed and we still have jobs to, to, to take care of and, you know, and families to manage and all these things. And, you know, it's just, it's a little unfair in my personal opinion, a little, a little off that, you know, so many people are taking advantage of the system and just bogging it down. And, and instead of, you know, us tightening up, we're, we're just printing more money. Um, which scares me, right? Which kind of plays back into the conversation of like, how, how is everything going to happen when it comes to inflation and how, how we're managing things. And, you know, it's interesting that you brought up the real estate conversation because in regards to that market, you know, we're seeing now more than ever, we're seeing an influx of international investors coming in and outbidding real buyers, real buyers that are going to end up in houses. And I think, I think you actually mentioned this last week, I believe, but we're, our, our country is slowly but surely turning into a renter's country. You know, we're going to have more and more people that live underneath a roof that's owned by the Chinese or owned by the Middle Eastern countries or, you know, any of these international investors that come in and buy up our land. You know, and, and because obviously we're a free country and we have this beautiful, amazing opportunity that everybody has to, to go out and invest in certain things, it, there's obviously free game. And if, if an, an international investor wants to come into this country legally and come and purchase some property and have a business that's going to, you know, create jobs and create opportunity for other people, then we welcome it with open arms. But at the same time, you know, we're really starting to get to a point where I think that people are starting to overextend themselves in a way that's that's irresponsible, in a way that's going to really, really bite them in the butt down the line. And, you know, I, I keep on saying this, and I hate to be that guy that keeps saying this, but I have a feeling that in three to five years, when shit really hits the fan, and our inflation really starts to play, and our, our you know, a cost of living is going to skyrocket... We're going to have more and more defaults on homes than we've ever seen in our lives. And we're just going to have more international money from people that are more responsible in different parts of the world when it comes to their money and how they take care of their countries. They're just going to come into our country and come start buying everything that we have. And, and you know, slowly but surely, there is going to be no land, no, no high-quality land for Americans to actually own. And that's a scary thought. You know, it's a, it's a really scary thought. That's, that's where... That's where we're going. And obviously, listen, it's a free country and it's free trade and, and you know, laissez-faire and all those beautiful things. But, you know, until until we start really, you know, bringing it back and reeling it in and starting to, like, have start having the, the tough conversations of, like, hey, guys, we can't keep printing this money and we can't continue to just 
take care of all these people on our burden when it comes to our taxes and then like how we do things when it comes to like all these programs you know it's gonna bite us in the butt it, it's it's a little scary but you know listen and again i'm all all for taking care of people that need to be taken care of the elderly the disabled you know people that are down on their luck students you know all for kids children of course right like but you know listen if you're a grown grown person and you know you're choosing instead of you know going and providing something of value to society and, and, and you have that opportunity to do that but you're choosing to live off the the government dollar then you know it's it, it like it doesn't matter what i think or what ross thinks or what anybody thinks but the fact of the matter is is that it's only it's only pushing us down as a whole and at some point that money's going to run out and at some point your 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 burden's going to be more expensive and the more the longer you sit and wait to not do something the more difficult it's going to get so i don't know the whole this whole concept around all of this is a little scary to me and i think now more than ever we're in a place where you know we have a really divided and honestly we're not even as divided as 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 i think everybody wants to say that we are but you know, I think people are just expecting handouts right now, and man, it's gonna it's gonna bite us in the butt. You know, I have no other way to say that. Yeah, I mean, especially when you talk about like handouts, what a lot of people don't notice is that we're seeing, you know, with your rising taxes, right? They they need to increase taxes in a lot of places, which means less money in your pocket, and a lot of that is going to these public programs. So you're getting this weird switch between I'm now going to have less money and I'm looking at the government to provide more. So it's almost like a dynamic shift of like where, you know, you're almost handcuffed. At a certain point, you're going to be making so little that you people look to the government to kind of even that out and make more with these kind of handouts or things like that. Um, I don't know. It, it is just going to be interesting to see where you know this all goes. I think one of the things that definitely leads into it is one and and I, you know devil's advocate you know maybe this is what they expect because they don't teach anybody anything about finance or buying a home i mean we they biden talked about he wanted to extend school another few years that would lead you into the first like two years of community college or things like that as like this is how long school will go but i guarantee they still won't teach you about taxes buying a home buying a car none of the things that really are like the big adult decisions that people make mistakes on because I mean, if you look at the generation before us, let's say you were in the 19, like 60s, 70s, you know, you could come out of college, you could be making, you know, and I'll just use modern day numbers, you could come out and be making $60,000. And you could be looking to buy a home that's the same kind of home you're looking at now for, you know, $200,000 or $300,000. Now, brother. yeah, way cheaper. Way so less. now you come out, now you come out and you're you're going to be making let's say the same 60,000, but the house you're looking for is now 800,000. Not the the inflation model hasn't put your your income has moved up a little bit. I guess I shouldn't have said 60 and 60. Maybe you went from 60 to 80 just to keep these numbers in perspective. But if you saw a $20,000 increase in in what you would make because of inflation, in this time, but then the same house has appreciated from, like you said, almost 200000 or even 150000 all the way up to eight hundred. I mean, it's not even close. It's it's no wonder why people are looking at these numbers of buying a home and they're like, oh, I only need 
5% down, boom, I have a home now. I'm just going to, I'll figure out how to pay the five grand rent every month. We'll make it work. And then there's no rainy day fund. And you have things like the pandemic or literally anything can come up. You lose a job, whatever. And then you're stuck. And now you're probably going to lose the home and you do obviously don't get that down payment back. And you're going to be, you know, filing bankruptcy or whatever it can be. You're, you're, it goes completely sideways. And that's just because no one taught them that they need to start maybe at a different budget or rent for a while and build up or, you know, there's just no financial literacy, I think, in America. And I think that's one of our biggest problems because we know, I mean, the curriculum that we learn has been the same for so long and that's the America just kind of does that. But we, how hard is it to really add one finance class where you can just incorporate life decisions like buying a home, buying a car, what a 401k is like. I almost wonder if there's a reason why they don't want to teach it because big corporations make a lot of money on our mistakes, but it is just annoying to see. So I do feel bad. But then when we hear stories about the eviction moratorium where people are making more money on unemployment than they were being employed, that to me blows my mind. It should at least be matched in some scenario. Like no one should be able to make more money sitting down doing nothing. And then with that, if their rent does come due and they don't have the money for it, like how much sympathy does that person really deserve at a certain point because they could have been stacking their cash putting it in the right places you're not able to go out and spend money on expensive dinners or things like that like you're at home your expenses have dropped you're learning to cook at home you're with the family you know at what point should you have been able to save and that would have probably put you ahead people who were smart in this pandemic and not saying that everyone's situation was the same but a lot of people were able to notice the difference and how much money they were spending because they couldn't go out and use that to invest and really kind of get ahead. So once this pandemic ends, you're going to see an even larger, you know, wage, not wage gap, but um, wealth gap essentially at that point, because it's starting to split really hard. The people at the bottom are going to get hit more by all these taxes, and then they're going to have to be looking and become dependent on the government. Or the people on the other side, they've kind of stacked their cash. They're going to be less dependent and a little bit more free. So I don't know. Very interesting to see. We're at a we're at a crazy time. I think that's why you see crypto popping off is because you know another place of funds and a lot of those things like uh, Ethereum, you know, are actually deflationary. Um, Bitcoin is would have been the strongest investment of the decade. Still is by far. I think people are just looking to get creative because if a lot of this money is switching to crypto. You know, the people who move their money into crypto first are going to be the people, the big corporations and the people with a lot of wealth, the ones that have connections at the Morgan Stanley's and Goldman Sachs. Those people are going to be advised to put their money elsewhere or the regular everyday people are going to be caught up in the hype of Dogecoin because they're printing the Dogecoin symbol on mugs and stuff like that, which is coming back, which lets me know that the bull market um, is going to be heating up in a little bit because we're seeing NFTs pop off and stuff like this. We're going to be seeing another boost there, but, you know, it's, it's just a mixture. If you want to, you know, become financially literate, like more and I read a book a week. No one makes us like we, we love you guys for listening, but we do this because we want to get better. We spend a lot of our free time researching different investments, different cryptocurrencies. We have side projects, side businesses that, you know, we, we work our ass off for free. We, we, we continue to build these things to gain these skills and eventually get these companies where we want. But there's more than enough time to get a lot of these things done. The resources is out there. School of YouTube can do anything. Um, you can really learn so many different skills. Um, you can watch college classes. I used to watch the MIT professor um, who is now the head of the SEC when it comes to cryptocurrency. I used to watch his MIT um, classes 
on YouTube. Like, I can't afford to go to MIT, but I was able to literally listen to this guy and learn. Like, if you want it, it's out there. So sympathy drops for me where there's now so much information at your fingertips, people just need to start taking advantage of it. I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't agree more. Now, I did. we did want to get into one little other thing that, te- <laughs> that, that Ross holds very near and dear to his heart. Uh, Rossi, tell us a little bit about what's going on with the robotics around Tesla. Yeah, I mean, so Tesla uh, pretty much announced that they want to become a robotics company. That's one of the new announcements that they had. And the only reason I bring this up is I thought it was interesting because obviously... Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that we are big Tesla fans. We have a lot of uh, stake in Tesla. We really, you know, kind of look at Elon, at least for me. I'm a big Elon fan. Uh, but for me, it's nice because it kind of lets me know that the company I'm invested in, while they do cars and things like that, is really understanding, looking at the future and still wants to try to be first. So my thought was this this robot, like, why would you want to do all this work of programming a robot and going through all that? But then you sit back and look at what they're doing with their autopilot and all of these cars, essentially, every time you use autopilot, it's learning. It's learning off of what you're doing. Um, And it's kind of going into this neural network where these cars are getting smarter and smarter. So I anticipate the same way that they're they're getting good at this AI and this this kind of neural system learning. um, They'll probably use for this robot. They'll probably put this robot somewhere in their assembly line to where a human would be best suited um, and let it do trial and error and learn, learn, learn versus programming each little movement that's traditional. Because you think about it right now, if you were to build a robot to vacuum your house, you don't build a big robot to push a vacuum. You build a little Roomba to go around and be do a one job very specifically. And that's how robots really are used. Um, so for them to make like a humanoid version is kind of, to me, backwards. I'm really not sure why they want to do it. But I can understand when you look at like Boston Dynamics, things like that, and what they're doing. I think that they're trying to push, can we make this robot kind of learn? Can we give it a task and let it try multiple times and figure out the most efficient and optimized way? So really cool to see a a company that, you know, is known as a car company. I always tell more, I see them more as a um, utility company as far as like an electric company, just because they'll do panels and things like that. But um, interesting that they want to go into robotics and and push that field. I think it really kind of opens the door um, for Tesla to continuously be around for, you know, the next decade, regardless of what happens in the electric vehicle market. So I think it's really interesting to see. It's definitely a weirder one to come from them, but um, I still think it's nice to see that they're looking forward when a lot of companies um, in America are very short term based because that's how they're compensated. So, you know, like to see things like that. But definitely interesting to see where tesla is trying to go with this yeah it will definitely be really interesting i mean it's the whole irobot conversation like how are we going to be able to utilize this technology to take on some of the more human aspects of life so i think it'll be really interesting and actually you bring up a really interesting point about the roomba and how we've built robots that are very specifically made to do one task and i think it'll be really interesting to see who is going to be able to really get to a point where you're going to have multiple tasks with one being, right? Like having an R2-D2 or a a C-3PO running around helping you do whatever it is that you do on a daily basis. So I think that'll be really fun to watch and I've always been really interested in how we're going to do that, especially from the perspective of like, man, there's so many jobs that could be taken on by some of these, uh, you know, these robots and what's going to happen 
to some of that labor force and how are they going to be, you know, uh, how are, how are we going to adjust that? Which will be very interesting. But anyway, let's go ahead and move into the book for the week. So this week we read a book by Tommy Baker called The 1% Rule. Uh, his little tagline is how to fall in love with the process and achieve your wildest dreams. Uh, I think I will start out with saying that this is probably one of the most aligned books that we've read on this podcast. Uh, and, and the reason why I said that is because he really worked so many ideologies into this book. I mean, I think he referenced at least three or four books that we've read in this book. Two off the top of my head, Kaizen and Good to Great. Right off the top of my head, I can bring those two up. And, you know, and there were lots of quotes, lots of things that were very relevant. It's very obvious that Tommy is very well read. Um, he's very obviously someone that, you know, sees the value in reading and learning and, and, you know, taking on knowledge like me and Ross, you know, see the value in reading and learning and taking on knowledge. And it was really nice to hear from another person that's as well read and as, you know, in the transformational thought, let's say. Um, in one of these books. And it really it came across well. Uh, I think that he did a great job. We obviously read the, listened to the audiobook. I think he did a great job. He was narrating for himself. But I think he did a great job of really getting the emotion behind, uh, you know, anyone that wants to be part of the 1%. And, you know, it was really funny because, you know, Ross's favorite quote is, let's get 1% better every single day. And that's literally what this book is all about. Um, so overall, I thought it was really great. I thought it was a wonderful overview of like a lot of the different books that we did together. I think it was very, uh, very direct and very uh, useful. And then I liked how at the end, he actually took the time to say, okay, now, you know, I get that you've read all these books and I get that, you know, like chances are if, you've, if you're reading this book right now, you've probably read, read 15 like it. So I understand that you've, you know, you understand the information that's available, but why aren't you using it? Let's take a second and find a way to integrate it into our lives. Um, so I thought that that was very smart on his part. I, the book was also very interactive. At the end of every chapter, there was like a, there was a question and there were a couple prompts to, to kind of think about. And, um, I thought that, I thought he did a great job with this book. I really thought it was good. What did you think, Ross? I thought the same thing too. You know, like I said, so the book is called The One Percent Rule. And originally, when I, I saw the book, like I said, more uh, got it through Audible, um, I was thinking it might be like what the one percent do um, and how they kind of live their life and their decisions. Because we see that. That's a theme in a lot of the books. Um, but this was exactly like more said, kind of aligned to what I what I always preach is like just try to make incremental thing and incremental improvements. And we have a lot of books in this, you know, podcast that have talked about Kaizen, which is pretty much the same thing, you know, getting, you know, consistently better. It doesn't have to be a lot overnight, just small, consistent um, growth, essentially. So I really aligned with this book. I will say that the math guy in me, um, he caught himself, not caught himself, but he added in the book where he says, if you get 1% better, imagine that's getting, you know, 365 percent better in a year and i was like no that's false because it compounds um and then like two minutes later he's like well actually it's compounded and you become you know three thousand thirty seven hundred percent better in that year because if you get one percent better better of the overall that you were yesterday it's a it's a much bigger growth uh, equation 
But, you know, I really liked it. He had a few different things that he talked about. He had his five principles, which were, um, you know, fall in love with the process, do it every single day, celebrate your commitment, track your metrics and data, and master your craft. And I honestly think, even though people can argue different things, I really think that the number one, the fall in love with the process, is the biggest one. And I think Moore and I can both attest to this because we mentioned it earlier. We, we've we've had so many different projects. We work our asses off for like the last four years. Um, and a lot of them we don't get paid on. A lot of them are, are just learning in the trenches. Um, we get better and better every single time. We really, especially with our investments, we get we make good picks, good selections. But then with our businesses, we, we get really good at uh, uh, building these, breaking them down from the beginning and understanding what we're trying to build. And we no longer have that mantra of, you know, if you build it, they can come. We really try to ask more questions off the bat. We're very picky with who we work with, who we bring into the company. Um, we, we There's a lot of different things, but I think if you can like the process or fall in love with the process, it gets addicting because even though we haven't made money on those, I can definitely say that what we have done, whether it be in that company or even doing the podcast weekly like this, has definitely translated to our, our, our day jobs in that sense. Like I probably wouldn't have gotten my day job at Snapchat if I hadn't have done all these different growth things in the middle. So even though we're not, you know, physically compensated for some of these side projects and, and startups that we work on, um, I think we are seeing the benefit of that in our everyday life, whether it just be at our day job or with friends, family, um, the kind of advice that we're able to give to people as well. Like I have a friend who's right now in the process of trying to get hired for a job. And a lot of the books that we read, um, a lot of them have to do with almost like hiring, like way back in the beginning of this podcast. And it was a book that I truly believe helped me get my job because it's understanding your worth and not, you know, looking desperate in some of these interviews and, and having a game plan going in. So even being able to give people around me solid advice that I truly believe in, and it's not BS, I've, I've seen it, I've read it, I've done it. Um, I think really goes a long way. So, you know, to bring it all back, I think this book was really good. It was not too long. It was well narrated, like more touched on. But I think if you can just fall in love with the process, get 1% better, just little things, little things, watch YouTube, learn a little skill, maybe just get a little bit better at Excel if you're a little weak there, just enough to be able to build what you're trying to build. I think you'll really see the benefits. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, overall, really, really solid. I would say this is a top 10 book for us probably, just from the perspective of how valuable it was and how well written it was and how direct and to the point it was. Um, so I will highly recommend this book in the future. I do know that. And uh, I give it two thumbs up. I think it was probably a top 10 book and that's saying something at 106 episodes and 106 books. Um, I think it really, it really was worth it. Uh, any final thoughts, Rossi? No, that's about it. I, I would, you know, echo your sentiment. Uh, I definitely like the book. I thought it was really well done. I do equate this to a lot of the Kaizen books we read. But it, like more said, it is more direct. It is more something that the everyday person can kind of take and use where the Kaizen model, it, it depends on what you are or where you're working, what, what your kind of personality type is. There's more things where this, I think, is a lot easier to take and use immediately. So I definitely agree. Great book. Highly recommended it or highly recommend it. And um, yeah, like I said, really no complaints. Absolutely. And with that being said, guys, on that beautiful note, my name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Inarelli. This is Market Today podcast. This was episode 106. Thank you guys so much for joining us yet again on the podcast. 
And we will see you guys next week. Take care.